Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest who represents Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Today's guest is Anika Goss. Yes. Correct? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I almost went the other way. All right. Anika, say hello to the world. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, David. All right. The pleasure is all ours. And so you have quite the story. Um, we're going to dive into what it is that you're doing right now and a little bit about what you've done in the past. But we always like to introduce our guests to our audience. And we ask a very simple but not so simple question of who are they? So who is Anika Goss? Uh, who is Anika Goss? So I am um, a, a mother first um, and a sister and a daughter and um but i'm a, a mom of two now young adults and i feel like they have really shaped um who i am as an adult mm-hmm. and um my parents and my family have shaped who i am as a as a young woman um i'm a third generation detroiter uh my grandmother okay. came to detroit in 1936 and wow. um uh, we grew up, my parents moved to moved around a lot when I was a kid, um, and we settled in Oakland, California, and lived there until I was in high school, and then moved back here uh, and lived out in the suburbs um, until I graduated, and then I went to college, and they went back to California. And so uh, I've got very deep roots, family uh, in the Bay, in Oakland. Um, and uh, uh, that feels like home as much as it feels, as much as Detroit feels like home. Uh, but I've spent my adult life, I've lived, I've lived now here in Detroit longer than I've lived anywhere else and um, okay. have made it home, have it shaped my career and it's probably um uh the best thing about who I am Mm, wow okay you know I'm a history teacher so when you said 1936 I said wow smack dab in the middle of the great depression yeah they moved here yeah Um, are you familiar with why they moved moved yeah yep yes uh my um my grandfather had passed away and well, it wouldn't have been my grandfather. My uh, great grandfather had passed away and um, at that point had put all of his children through school, uh, except for the mm-hmm. last two. Uh, and my grandmother um, had just finished uh, Alabama Teachers College, which would have been Alabama State. And they lived on a big farm. And when my great grandfather passed away, my great grandmother couldn't afford to keep the farm. Um, as wow. a, a lot of southern towns, this was in Lafayette, Alabama. 
Uh, they wow. couldn't keep the farm. They went, they drove the taxes way up and they lost the farm and um, wow. they had to move to, they had to move to the town. And then when my great grandmother passed, the oldest daughter had already moved to Detroit a few years earlier mm. and had married um, a pastor and was living in the North End and was pretty, you know, considered well off. Uh, and she okay. was a nurse and he was a pastor. And so when the when my great grandmother passed, she moved up the rest of um, the kids, including my mm. grandmother, who would who would have been uh, a young woman. Uh, she moved everybody mm. up to Detroit. And so mm. they all moved here and lived, started a new life in Detroit. Yeah. All of that's juicy, interesting to me, but uh, that's not yeah. why we had you on the podcast. But <laughs> as a history teacher, it's so many, you know, it additional is. stories and within the context of that, that my mind is going crazy about. But let's talk about the CEO of Detroit Future City. Yeah. Right. What is Detroit Future City? So Detroit Future City is a nonprofit think and do tank. We're a uh, planning organization and an innovation center. We, uh, pre-COVID, we are based and we still have our offices there, but they're not open on West Grand Boulevard. Uh, we were born out of the original strategic framework process in 2012. Uh, that was the largest community planning process in the United States that included over 100,000 people. And so our job is to lead the land use and economic future of Detroit for the next 50 years. It's a big job. Okay. Yeah, it sounds uh, intimidating. <laughs> oh, so, I don't... Um... <laughs> I hope it doesn't sound intimidating. I like to think of... <laughs> <laughs> as um as it's 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 everybody's you know it's a big city right and it's uh, all it's up to all of us to make sure that it's the city that we all want to live in so yeah. i i i hope the way i made it sound it made it sound like it was intimidating but i hope that the when i say that the the reaction i want is for people to say yeah. And as a matter of fact, I want you to do something about, and then, you know, okay. dot, dot, dot. That's really what we want people to say at Detroit Future City. We want people to be thinking yeah. about that. We want people to be excited about Detroit's future. Yeah. Okay. It, it might be more to do with me than it had to do or with me. you. Or <laughs> me. I need to work on, I need to work on my elevator speech. <laughs> nah. All right. So Detroit Future City. Why is this work important? Why is it significant? Yeah. It's the 50-year future, right? So there's mm. 24 square miles of vacant land. Mm. The unemployment rate is still entirely too high. It's much higher uh, than yeah. it is across in comparison to the region. Uh, only 25% of Detroiters are considered middle class. I, th I think yeah. we need to really think about what we want Detroit's future to become. And yeah. we can only do that if we have a blueprint for how that, yeah. for what that should look like moving forward. 
if we just let market forces take take hold, which they will, the market, mm-hmm. the corporate sector will just take hold of Detroit where there's where land yeah. is cheap, development will come. Unless we have a blueprint where we can be intentional about what our city should yeah. look like, then yeah. all then we will have no say and no control about what our future will be in 50 years. So what yeah. I hope, you know, we we have a long way to go. And part of raising our voice around that is making sure that people are really clear around what the issues are right now mm-hmm. and where it is that we need to be. What's the standard for us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 1% of Detroiters, less than 1% of Detroiters make over $100,000. The wage mm-hmm. gap for between Detroit, wow. between Detroit and the rest of the region is $30,000. If you work in Detroit, wow but you live in the suburbs, you were making as much as $30,000 more than a Detroiter, right? Who works in the suburbs. So I I truly believe that this is up to all of us. And that is really the intention of Detroit Future City, that climate change, the reason our, our neighborhoods are disinvested where we have large scale blight and open space and land mm. is intentional. Mm. It's been intentional since 1936 mm. when my grandmother moved here. That's when they started yeah. building ghettos, right? And they were mm. intense, they were intended for black people and brown people to live in those places, for us not right. to invest in them, for them to be continually yeah. contaminated. For us to yeah. disinvest in those areas, to have the least for continually, perpetually. And so until yeah. we can understand that, we will never move past that. And we, until yeah. we begin to direct resources towards it, we will never see any change. Yeah. Yeah. And so I hear uh, a tremendous challenge again. So <laughs> I'm hearing a tremendous challenge there you go to the 1930s and you have some of these same issues and here we are in 2021 knocking on 2022 uh dating of the recording again but and we still are facing some of those same challenges so let's talk a little bit about today and some of the challenges you are facing with i guess first deciding what comes first what comes second what comes what comes third with your planning and then protecting that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, David. We, and we're like in the middle of a strategic, we're beginning, we're not in the middle, we're beginning our strategic planning process now. And we've spent the last five years really trying to focus and prioritize, just as you said. So mm-hmm. we, fo- and we'll continue with this as a base. So we've spent the pa- past five years going deep in land use and environmental sustainability. So really focusing on blight and vacancy and productive land use and clean uh, clean water and stormwater management uh, mm-hmm. in neighborhoods. We've also gone really, really deep in uh, vacant industrial property. A lot of people don't know that there are 900 industrial properties in Detroit that are standing vacant. 
900. Wow. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed 900. Well, you know what? I really kind of think that we get used to living wherever, you know, we drive past, I drive past, I live on East Jefferson. I drive mm. past the bakery, the old, um, there's an old bakery on like Jefferson and uh, Cashew. Is it, is it, no, it's not that far down. Uh, it's on the east side, right before you get to the, um, right after the uh, plant, right after the Chrysler plant. It's an okay. abandoned bakery. People don't even realize it's there. They don't even yeah. notice it. Drive past it. It's there all the time. I think we're used to it, right? We're used to just yeah. living with these industrial sites and it yeah. becomes part of your, you're just immune to it. You're desensitized to it, but it's a problem. Yeah. You can't develop it. You can't, you can't even develop around it. Like people can't live with yeah. that. It's contaminated. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, kids are walking past it on their way to school. Could you imagine? Like, could you imagine yeah. planning that? Like, if you were paying attention to it every day, I don't know if you have children, but I can't imagine it thinking consciously. If I'm if I'm living in Birmingham, and I'm sitting yeah. letting my children walk to school today, right? Mm -hmm. Like, be careful when you pass that abandoned bakery right. <laughs> yeah. on the way to elementary school. Can you? You yeah. just. Only in Detroit would that have happened and would we have allowed for that to happen. That bakery is probably yeah. sat there for 50 years. Yeah. So Man, anyway. uh, <laughs> no, that's that's a great conversation. That's a conversation for another podcast, really, in itself. Um, you got yeah. me thinking about my my uh childhood and I grew up, there was a um I don't know if it was one of the big three or some subsidiary, but there was a factory on the end of the corner on the way to on out of drive on yep. the way to my uh, uh, elementary school. And I want to say by the time maybe I got to high school, maybe after high school, they had moved that plant people out of that plant. It became abandoned and not oh. before long in my early 20s, you know, it became debilitated. And like you said, now you go from me who walked past a thriving, had to make sure I watched cars coming out of the parking mm -hmm. lot and on my way in, to and from school to a, an abandoned place in that same neighborhood. It just changes the whole neighborhood dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, now it's like, real. I mean, you were dodging cars and that was dangerous. But imagine yeah. getting, you're worried about being snatched into that yeah. uh, abandoned factory, right? Who knows yeah. what's going on yeah. there? Or dogs running yeah. out of there. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious what what draw what drew you to this particular kind of work. Yeah. So I I've spent my whole career. Um, I like to think of it that um, I've been able, I've been lucky, blessed enough mm -hmm. to create a career that allows me to move capital and resources to where black people live. I have, uh, that's yeah. what I've done my whole career. I've worked in yeah. community development. I started in my 50, I mean, in my twenties and I'm 50 now, um, mm. where I started working for, um, 
uh, a national community development financial institution list. Okay. Um, and uh, I worked in the Detroit office and worked my way up to being a national vice president. Um, mm -hmm. And and so, you know, I started off, I mean, I have a social work degree and I thought I was going to be a social worker. Um, and that didn't last very long. <laughs> um, I didn't, I, I didn't make a very good social worker, but um, the, the idea that there was all of this money and we, if there was a way that black people could receive the, in their own neighborhoods, could receive the same level of attention and attraction and yeah. capital mm. as every other community. Imagine what could happen. Yeah. I really felt called for that. Yeah. Yeah. And and you think uh the vast majority of people living in a neighborhood are probably not aware that that work is needed. They're just they're too busy doing their day to day and worrying about life. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. it's important to have somebody sitting at that table with their best interests at heart. Right. I hope so. Like, I hope I hope that that's what my my work ends up becoming is, um, yeah. you know, it feels uh, that that somebody feels like what I'm doing is worthwhile and serving yeah. others in service to others. Yeah. So let's talk about and when when with dripping in black, it's about celebrating who we have on, but also hopefully when uh, younger people watch back, they can be inspired by your story. So okay. knowing what you know now, if you can go back and talk to your twenty year old self who just got started in this this arena, mm. what's some advice you would give her? Some advice I would give her. Um, you know, it's funny because 20, I mean, 20 year old me was in college. So okay. 20, 20 something year old me, I would have said, go and get your PhD while you have the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that, that <laughs> if, if I have any regret, it's that, because I actually, Got, I was in the University of Michigan program. I was, I had gotten in. I was accepted at the, right. At, at the time, if you, at that, I don't know if they still did this, but if you were already in the master's program and you had a certain grade point average, if you wanted to continue on into the PhD program, you had to have, you had to write, um, basically your application was a proposal of what mm -hmm. you were going to study. And if it was accepted, you could go on and research that. And I got in and I let, mm -hmm. I hate to even say this on your show, but no. I did <laughs> let this white man tell me, talk me out of it. Wow. He was trying to, you know, he was trying to be helpful. Um, mm. Right. He was trying to be helpful. And, you know, basically told me, I'm this young 22-year-old, that I would be better off as a social worker, that I was needed mm. in the field, um, wow. as opposed to 
being uh, a professor. Well, here I am now running a think tank and partnering with the Brookings Institute and Urban and speaking all over the world. I wish I'd had that PhD. I needed it. I need it. You know? Yeah. Uh, So don't let anyone talk you out of your plan. Yeah. And and, uh, we had a guest on earlier this season and she had a similar story, but she didn't let them talk her out of it. And uh, I was, I remember that and how, how important it is because it comes across as, you know, it's nice. It's I'm thinking of you, I'm being considerate of you is such a, um, such a clever way to misguide someone, right. Especially in your youth. And so to be able to, to know what you, you're looking for and know what you want and to say kindly no to that is a, is a, is a lot of, it's a great advice, right? Yeah. I think we think um, that young people don't know anything and mm. that we have to tell them <laughs> what their life should be. That would be, be. true. No. You know, well, I, you know, and I'm raising young people <laughs> I'm just right kidding. now. I get it. I get it. My children are 19 and 22 and most days they don't know anything. But I've had to learn raise, you know, raising children at this age, you know, that are raising children in this phase of their young adult life, having to pull back, you know, having to Mm -hmm. pull back. What are you going to do? What's your plan? You tell me your plan and we can talk through how you can get there. You know, it's a very different. It's a very it's a very different way of living. I mean, my parents were the same way. No, you should blah, 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 blah. You know, just like we all were. Yeah. All right. So did you say Detroit Future City has a 50-year plan? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to say it this way. Let's let's forecast it 15 years from now. You're 15 years into the 50-year plan. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? What does the impact of Detroit Future City look like? What what's tangible that we can actually see that's happened in the ideal situation? 50 years from now, we would have a rapid bus transit along our major thoroughfares, Michigan, Gratiot, Grand River. Um, Mm. And you would see it, right? Like you would know it, it's Mm. there. It's, these are major thoroughfares. Mm-hmm. Um, we would also have, um, instead of the, the vacant, large scale vacancy that we have right now, yeah. there, those would be extended parks, uh, um, uh, bioretention swells that manages water, stormwater, rainwater, okay. solar arrays, uh, on all of that land gardens. Wow you know, in the middle of a block where there's only two or three houses, those blocks where there's only two or three houses, there's stretch, there's ribbon farms and stretches of blocks in between those houses. So it looks productive, even though it's the same land, it still looks productive. There are enclaves of middle-class neighborhoods, right? Yeah. Enclaves yeah. throughout the city. You know, not everybody's going to yeah. be in a middle class neighborhood all the time. I don't expect that. And yeah. not not yeah. even in 50 years. But yeah. 
there are many, many neighborhoods that it's clear that this is a place you want to see, that you want to be. And these people are black. These people are brown. These people are Arab. And we're living here in Detroit. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a, a, a beautiful picture. And so as Dripping in Black grows, its audience and more and more people get to tune in. Um, I always like to ask our guests, what can the audience tangibly do to help you attain that goal? What is something we could be doing here in the now to support you, not help to support you in attaining your goals? Yeah. Let's see. I mean, Detroit Future City is a nonprofit, so you could always donate to DetroitFutureCity.com. But um, I also feel like people should get involved. We help. We're, we have a innovation series on the Black middle class in Detroit. Uh, join us for that. Join that conversation. Figure out how this relates to you. And this is a national conversation. This We're bringing okay. in folks from Detroit, but also from across the country cities that are um, also dealing with increasing Black middle class. I feel like I need to say this, David, because I feel like if there's nothing else you get from me, I want you to know that I truly believe that if we get it right for Black people in Detroit, we are going to get it right all over the country, period. And it'll be Detroit that leads in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely believe you as well. And so uh, tangibly, they can they can support financially. Um, give that website again. DetroitFutureCity.com. They can mm-hmm. www.DetroitFutureCity.com or .org. Either one is interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, but join us on our uh, innovation series, all of our... Um, programs, all of our research is on there. You can get involved, stay informed, yeah. uh, jump in on the conversations. We keep it going. Yeah. And and so if I wanted to do that, I would go to the same website yep. and kind of link up that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Excellent. 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 All right. So we're going to close it out and we always close it out with a major question. All right. Try to close out strong. Are you ready for this final question? I think so. (laughs) All right. Have you ever been on the cover of a magazine? No. Okay. Wow. Such an illustrious career that you had. And we just talked about what you're doing for Detroit Future City, but you send us a bio that is as impressive as anything that I've read for a resume. Yet no magazine cover, though. Nope. Okay. Well, (laughs) one of the things we do here at Dripping Black is for each and every one of our guests is we place them on the Dripping Black magazine cover. So my... My uh, executive producer, Sean Smith, will show you. Great. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I love it. Yes. So that will be also a parting gift. We will print it out and laminate it and send it to you at a later date. 
And also behind me, you see there's uh, some of our guests. We've laminated their covers and placed it on our wall of fame. Wow. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes, I did notice that. And thank you. That's my dad's favorite picture of me. And he recently asked me for it. And I was like, I don't know how to get you that, dad. (laughs) So this is great. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Oh, we may have to put one in there for dad then as well. We may have to uh, print out an extra copy for dad as well. We can can definitely make that happen. All right. So we thank you. Miss Anika Goss for joining us and for all the wonderful work that you're doing and the impact that you're making um, for the city of Detroit. Thank you again for coming to visit us. Thank you for having me, David. This has been my treat. Yeah. And we ask for our audience to hang on. We have one final segment, The Last Drip. So hang on for that. But thanks again to Anika Goss. Up next... The last drip, but first, a message from Anchor. A dripping in black thanks to Anika Goss, and we thank her once more for the tremendous work that she is doing and her commitment to improving the lives of the overlooked and underrepresented in our communities. However, we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The last drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more of Black excellence for you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, we highlight the life and legacy of a giant in community activism and urban development, Miss Patricia Roberts-Harris. Born Patricia Roberts in Mattoon, Illinois, on May 31st, 1924, Roberts would attend Illinois public schools in her youth. She would attend college first at the Great Howard University on scholarship, where she graduated summa cum laude in 1945. While at Howard, she served as the vice chairman of Howard's college chapter of the NAACP and participated in one of the very first sit-ins at a Washington, D.C. restaurant in 1943. In 1955, she married William Harris, a Howard University law professor. In 1960, she earned her law degree from George Washington University. She graduated number one in her class and was admitted to practice before the U.S. Supreme Court. In 1963, President John F. Kennedy selected Harris to co-chair the National Women's Committee for Civil Rights. Harris was a woman of many firsts. In October 1965, Harris became the first African-American woman U.S. ambassador when President Lyndon Johnson appointed her ambassador to Luxembourg. She was the first Black woman to be dean of a law school when she served briefly in that capacity at Howard in 1969. In 1977, U.S. President Jimmy Carter selected Harris to become Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, better known as HUD, making her the first Black woman to serve in a presidential cabinet. As HUD Secretary, Harris funneled millions of dollars into upgrading neighborhoods. She developed a neighborhood strategy program that subsidized the renovation of apartments in deteriorated areas, 
She expanded plans and initiatives to lure businesses into blighted areas and paved the way for millions of renovation dollars to be poured into deteriorating housing projects throughout our nation. Harris was appointed to and served in a variety of leadership roles throughout her life before her passing in 1985. In 2000, the United States Postal Service honored her legacy with a stamp bearing her likeness. Because of her tremendous accomplishments throughout her life, as well as her legacy of commitment to improving Black communities across our nation, we honor Patricia Roberts Harris as this episode's last drip. For more on Patricia Roberts Harris, check out womenofthehaw.org, mmaahc.si.edu, historicamerica.org, and blackpass.org. My thanks to all of these websites for the knowledge. The story of Patricia Roberts Harris is a tremendous one. And again, in the five minute segment of the last drip, there's just much more to uncover. So as always, I encourage our audience to go out to those websites that I mentioned and even Google her YouTubes and things of that nature to learn more about the stalwart in our in our history. A friendly reminder that the DIBK Drip Shop is open. Go to DIBKDripShop.com to cop the latest Dripping in Black merch. And as always, a huge thanks to all of our listeners, viewers, supporters, and subscribers. We do these episodes for you. A big shout out to the best producer in the podcast game. You know him as Sean Smith, a.k.a. S Squared. And until next time, Be kind, be loving, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.